0: 1 Timothy chapter 1, verses 1 through 5, give ear to the word of God. It says, Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus, by command of God our Savior and of Christ Jesus our hope, to Timothy, my true child in the faith, grace, mercy, and peace from God the Father and Christ Jesus our Lord. As I urged you when I was going to Macedonia, remain at Ephesus so that you may charge certain persons not to teach any different doctrine nor to devote themselves to myths and endless genealogies which promote speculations rather than the stewardship from God that is by faith. The aim of our charge is love that issues from a pure heart and a good conscience and a sincere faith. This ends the reading of God's word. You may be seated. Well, if, if you're not familiar with First Timothy and Second Timothy and Titus, these books are often referred to as the pastoral epistles an epistle is a letter. It's just a fancy, way of, a fancy name for a letter. But they're, they're called the pastoral epistles because what are they about? If you're familiar with them, you'll know that much of what is written in those three letters or books of our Bibles are written to tell these two young protege or apprentice pastors, Timothy and Titus, how to do their ministry, how they are to conduct themselves in the household of God, how they are to appoint elders, Uh, What qualifications there are that God has given for elders, deacons, how the church is supposed to worship, what things belong in worship, what things don't, how to deal with false teachers, all kinds of things like that. That is what these books uh, deal with. So they're 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 about pastoral ministry. And now maybe you might be wondering, you know, you might maybe you're sitting sitting there saying to yourself, you know, pastor, this sounds like a book for you to study. You know, or or you and Rob, the study—it's about pastors and elders and deacons. We're most of us aren't going to be pastors and elders and deacons, so what's the point for us? Well, I, I think if we're we're tempted to think about that, uh, I think we're we're forgetting that if it's about ministry, it's also about the church, and I think that's a, a subject that we all need to be uh, mindful of. We all need to be concerned about. It's something that we have a lot in these epistles because it's about the church and not just about Timothy per se as an individual pastor, there's actually a lot in these books for you and I to apply, uh, to learn and apply to our lives. And so it has a lot to teach us about life in the church, and the church should be something at the center of every Christian's life. The church should be something that should be of great interest and concern to every believer. I've said this a number of times, but I think it bears repeating. And the reason for that is, Christianity, the Christian faith, is is very much personal, but it's not private. In our day, there seems to be a trend towards privatized Christianity. You know, people, people think of Christianity as me, myself, and Jesus, but me, myself, and Jesus, or you, yourself, and Jesus, do not a church make. And the church is not meant to be uh, optional. And so the apathetic attitude that some professing Christians have toward the local church I think is greatly at odds with the word of God, and it's contrary to the spirit of Christ. The Christian faith was never intended to be a private matter. The local visible church is not to be an optional thing for believers. And so that being the case, there's a lot that we need to know about the church and our roles in it. You think about what Jesus himself and the apostles had to say about the church in particular, and in Matthew 16, what did Jesus tell Peter about the church? He told Peter that he was building not just a bunch of individual you know, believers scattered all over the place. He told him he, that he was going to build his church and that the gates of hell would never prevail against it. Matthew 16, 18. In Acts chapter 20, we'll look at this text a little bit later in the sermon as well. But Acts chapter 20, remember the Apostle Paul? He's meeting with the Ephesian elders, possibly for the last time. Uh, those same elders were Timothy is serving here when this book was written in the city of Ephesus, and he tells them that God purchased the church with his own blood. Now, I think sometimes, maybe if you're like me, your mind sort of translates things differently. Uh, you sort of read, you don't change the word, but when you hear that God purchased the church with his own blood, somehow in our minds, I think, we we say, well, We just think he's talking about just individual Christians, which there's truth to that, but it's more than that. He didn't just die to save us individual Christians, you know, sinners from our sins, although he did. He died to purchase a church, a people for himself. A gathered people for himself. The various epistles throughout the New Testament, if you think about all of Paul's and Peter's epistles and John's epistles, who are they written to? Almost every single one is written to churches. And the ones that aren't written to churches, that are written to individuals, they're written to individuals about the churches. 1st and 2nd Timothy and Titus. Even Philemon deals with the church in some regard. In other words, your entire New Testament deals with the church in some way, shape, or form. The book of Revelation. Remember chapters 2 and 3, it's not been that long since we looked at those chapters. What do those chapters include? The seven letters to the seven churches. God's church is never far from view. In fact, um, in, this, in this epistle itself, in 1 Timothy, Peter, or Peter, Paul wrote 1 Timothy, pardon me. But Paul gives us his purpose statement for the letter. Sometimes when you read your Bible in certain books, there's a verse or two that tells you, in, in essence, here's why I wrote this book, the apostle that wrote it, tells us that. Well, look at First Timothy chapter 3. Right about the middle of the book, 1 Timothy 3, verses 14 to 15, Paul tells Timothy in the middle of the book, here's why I'm writing this book to you. It says, I hope to come to you soon, but I'm writing these things to you so that if I delay, here it is, you may know how one ought to behave in the household of God, which is the church of the living God, a pillar and buttress of the truth. Pillar and buttress. Of the truth. So he wanted Timothy and us to know how we are to conduct ourselves in the church of God. That's what he wanted Timothy and us to know from this letter. And the, na- the nature of the church, you know, Paul didn't just say, I want you to know how to conduct yourself in the church. He gives a few descriptors, a few descriptive terms of what the church is, and I think that's for a good reason. I think that it's not without reason that Paul uh, tells us what the church is in some ways and a few different things. In that passage, the true church is not just a building. It's not a mere institution or gathering. What does he call it? It's the household of God. What's another word for household? It's the family of God. It's not just a club. It's not just a group. It's the family and household of God, God's family. He also calls the church the church of the living God. The Church of the Living God. We we don't serve a false god. We are the Church that serves the true and living God, and He works through His Word among us and rules over all things for our sake. And the third thing that that, Pete, that Paul says is the Church is quote a pillar and buttress of the truth. You know, the Church we just sang a hymn a little while ago in the service. The Church is one foundation. You know, in a sense, you know, we're built on Christ. We're built on the truth of the Word of God, but we're also uh, the, one of our reasons for existing, one of the things that God has made us for as a church is to be a pillar and buttress of the truth. We are to stand for God's truth. If the church does not stand by God's truth and does not proclaim the whole counsel of God, who will? No one. This is the only place, that the true church is the only place where God's word is really made known truthfully and sincerely. So in these letters, 1 and 2 Timothy and Titus, the Holy Spirit uses the words of of Paul, gives him the words to write, and in that the Holy Spirit teaches us how things are to be done in the church. That's what these letters teach us. It includes things like appointing the ministry of elders and deacons, how to deal with false teaching and false teachers is found throughout these books. It even deals with things regarding our public worship on the Lord's Day here in church. All those things are touched upon and taught in these letters. Now, I think there's a lot for us to learn as a church about the church from these letters. We're going to look at First and Second Timothy, Lord willing, over the next number of months. And in his commentary on First and Second Timothy in particular, John Calvin writes this. He wrote a, a dedicatory letter or a dedication to, to a ruler in England. And this is what he writes in that dedication. He says, in short... These two epistles first and second Timothy, in short, these two epistles uh, in these two epistles we are shown a living picture of the true government uh, that's the oversight and how things are done, the true government of the church. everything in these letters is highly relevant to our own times, and there is hardly anything needful for the building up of the church that cannot be drawn from them. that's the part that got my attention when I was reading it. There's almost nothing that's needful for us as a church that we aren't in some way taught about in 1st and 2nd Timothy, and I would add also in Titus. And so, you know, even if we've been particularized for years and years, which we have, and we've been around for a long time, we still need to read, you know, let's say, you know, 20 years from now, Lord willing, we're particularized, we're growing, we're moving along, we still need to relearn and be taught these things from these pastoral epistles and so may the lord make this our study over these next months or so may he bless this study to us that that we might in all things uh, seek to conform ourselves as individual christians and as a church to the things taught in these pages you know we have in the pca our denomination we have what's called a book of church order well the real book of church order order is first and second timothy and titus and we should conform ourselves to whatever it says in them. And so I'd like to look at a few things from our text. The first of those things is in verses 1 and 2, and that's Paul's opening greeting. And that's the part, maybe when you read your Bible and you're reading the epistles, I don't know if you, you never say this out loud, but sometimes you read the opening greeting and you think, ah, it's just like, you know, dear John, you know, you don't spend a lot of time reading that part of the letter. But there's things that he puts in here for our benefit as well and for Timothy's benefit, so we should look at them. Look at verses 1 and 2 in Paul's opening greeting. He says, Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the command of God our Savior and of Christ Jesus our hope. To Timothy, my true child in the faith, grace, mercy, and peace from God the Father and Christ Jesus our Lord. Now, Paul, what does he do here? He tells you who's writing the letter. He tells you who he's writing the letter to. He tells us, and he states, not just not as if Timothy didn't know what he was, but he tells Timothy that he's an apostle of Jesus Christ. He's he's stating at the outset of the letter the source of that authority as an apostle. Why was Paul an apostle? He says, by the command of God our Savior and of Christ Jesus our hope. So he has a God-given authority as an apostle. The things that he writes in this letter are not mere suggestions. They're not just there for us to take and leave as we see fit. And so what you and I read in these pages is not to be taken lightly or disregarded or disobeyed. It is our, you know, it's as if Paul were standing here among us. It's the same thing. It's the authority of Jesus Christ in his word, and we are to seek to obey it in all things and take it to heart. You know, many many so-called Christian churches in our day, they actually do take things these, these things lightly. They actually do feel free somehow to disregard some of the things that are written in its pages. They disregard or dismiss the things Paul says about elders and deacons, they dismiss what he says about authority in the church, about worship. And, w- and when they do that, you know, they, I don't know if they think it's a, a light thing to do that, but they're disregarding the, the word of God when they do that. They They're saying we are wiser than God. We think the word doesn't really mean what it says it means. We should not be taking that approach to scripture in anything, much less something about the church. What it says goes, whether we know why it says it or not, we should conform ourselves to it and make that our goal. Whatever you read of here in the scriptures is written for our instruction, for our edification. It's written that we might believe and obey what's written in it. It's written for our good and for God's glory. There's nothing in this book, even the parts, there are parts in 1 Timothy, when maybe if you read ahead you'll see what I'm talking about. Don't read ahead right now. But you know, there are parts in 1 Timothy that that well-meaning Christians read and they go, whoa, that sounds offensive. Well, why would God say that well it can 't mean what it sounds like it means it means what it says, and it's not it 's not there to be harsh it 's written for our good, even if we don 't know why it says what it says. We should take whatever it says to heart and know that it 's for our good and for god 's glory in the church. Now we saw you know that later in the epistle in chapter three, Paul calls the church the household of God, the family of God, and that truth actually shows up even in the greeting doesn 't it What does he call? Timothy. He's telling Timothy and those who are going to read this letter after him and with him that he's, uh, Paul is an apostle. That's his authority given by God. But what does he call Timothy? He calls him his true child in the faith. It's a pretty remarkable, I mean, it really tells you what Paul thought of Timothy, how highly he regarded and loved him to call him his true, that word true there. It has the idea it, it also means legitimate. He's saying, you're my real son. Now, Paul, you might know, wasn't married. He might have been the only apostle that wasn't married. He had no actual, you know, biological children, but in Timothy, he did. Timothy, they were so bound together that he viewed Timothy as his own son in the faith. Think about what a kindness that was to Paul and to Timothy to to give them each other that way. And think about how hard it was for Paul to leave him in Ephesus to say, you know, my son in the faith, I know you'll do what I want you to do and what God would have you do. Notice also that Paul mentions in in the opening five verses, how many times, in the opening two verses really, how many times does Paul mention Christ Jesus in the opening greeting? Three times in the first two verses. That should give us a hint about what Paul thought of Christ, what the church is to think of Christ. Paul is an apostle of whom? Of Christ Jesus. Why is Paul an apostle of Christ Jesus? Because he's by the command of God our Savior in Christ Jesus Our hope, and then he gives uh, Timothy a word of benediction. He essentially kind of prays for him in a sense in the letter, and he says, grace, mercy, and peace from God the Father and Christ Jesus our Lord. You know, who among us doesn't need grace, mercy, and peace from the Lord? And certainly Timothy did with the job he was given to do in the church. Well, that brings us to the second thing in our, in our passage. The second thing is not just Paul's greeting, But Paul's charge to Timothy in verses 3 to 4. He gives him a charge. He's kind of giving him, here's the basics of your orders that I'm going to spell out in the rest of the book. Look at verses 3 to 4. He says, as I urged you when I was going to Macedonia, remain at Ephesus so that you may charge certain persons not to teach any different doctrine, nor to devote themselves to myths and endless genealogies which promote speculations rather than the stewardship from God that is by faith. So, you know, Paul spent quite a bit of time, as far as his ministry was concerned, in Ephesus. At least three years he spent there, but he had to go plant other churches. There were things he had to do. And so when he couldn't stay in Ephesus any longer, what did he do? He left Timothy behind. He left his right-hand man, so to speak, behind to continue things. And, And what was one of the main things that Timothy was told to do? Not just in the opening greeting, but you can pick it up throughout the letter, One of the things that he was to do, one of the critical charges he was given was to defend the faith. In other words, there were were going to be attacks on the the Christian faith in Ephesus. And Timothy was to do his part as a shepherd to drive away the wolves. It's a crucial part of the job of a minister, which some take lightly, I think, in our day and always have. He was to shepherd the flock and defend them against the wolves. Listen to, again, Paul's words in Acts chapter 20, verses 28 to 31. He's talking to the Ephesian elders. Remember, the same elders at this church where Timothy is at, when he gets this letter, he says, Acts 20, 28 to 31, Paul says, pay careful attention to yourselves and to all the flock. This is what he's telling the elders to do. Pay careful attention to yourselves and to all the flock in which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers. Uh, to care for the church of God, which he obtained with his own blood. I know, or for I know, that after my departure, fierce wolves will come in among you, not sparing the flock. And from among your own selves will arise men speaking twisted things to draw away the disciples after them. therefore, be alert, remembering that for three years I did not cease, night or day, to admonish everyone with tears." I have a habit of repeating myself. The older I get, I tell the same three stories over and over again. Paul, in the midst of all his teaching, you you, kind of get the impression when he says for three years, the entire time he was at Ephesus, he was teaching them the doctrines of the gospel, and he was also doing something else. He was warning them about false teachers even coming up from among them, even coming up from among their elders. And Frankly, that's often where it comes from, from the pastors and elders of the church which should not be, but it does happen. He was warning them night and day with tears. Think about how seriously Paul wanted to impress that upon them, the reality of what was going to happen when he left. You get the impression that not only was Paul himself teaching them the truth, but even while he was there, he was fighting off the wolves already. And when he left, they would come back in. You want to say When when the cat is away, the mice will play. Well, Paul... Paul said, hey, the mice are coming back, the, the rats are coming back, the wolves are coming back. And so here you see one of the greatest needs in the church, and it's always been that way, even in the first century and even in our day maybe more than then has always been for godly elders who keep watch over themselves and who watch over the church and watch over each other to protect the church. Paul knew that after he left, savage wolves were going to come, some, some from outside, some from inside at times. And so he warned them for three years about the, the wolves in sheep's clothing. I would say it's not just wolves in sheep's clothing, it's wolves in shepherd's clothing at times. And I think this should be instructive for us today as, as much as it has ever been. You know, I think sometimes we're a little cocky. Not maybe us individually, but we think, somehow we think that, well, you know, Paul wrote these things way back in the first century. I mean, we're modern people. We have microwaves and airplanes and smartphones and laptops and all these things. We we think we've grown so far beyond. You know we can we can look up Christian teaching on our phones and all these things. We can download ser- you know download sermons and whatnot. Those are all good things. But sometimes I think we think these things are beyond us. That we don't really need to worry about these things now. We need to worry about these things now. We need elders and pastors who will think about these things and guard the flock. Paul charges Timothy to confront these false teachers and even to charge or command them to do at least two things. So think about that. Timothy, as the, as the, the the pastor there for the time being, he not only was supposed to teach the flock, he was supposed to confront the false teachers. It's something we, we often don't want to, we don't like, we don't like confrontation. Well, guess what? Part of his charge to Timothy was just that. And he tells them, here's what you are to command those who are holding and teaching these things to do. He's he's to command them first not to teach any different doctrine, verse 3. The doctrines that Paul had taught them in the gospel of Christ, they were not to teach anything different than that. Heterodoxy, teaching other doctrine or heresy, those things are to be kept out of the church. They must not be permitted to gain a foothold. Once they gain a foothold, they're harder to get out. Any, Any doctrine that's different from any doctrine that's contrary to, any doctrine that's hostile to the pure teaching of the gospel of Christ is to be excluded and avoided and is sent out. It's to be commanded against. That's why Paul later says in 2 Timothy chapter 1 verses 13 to 14, the next book, he says, follow the pattern of the sound words that you have heard from me in the faith and love that are in Christ Jesus by the Holy Spirit who dwells within us Guard the good deposit entrusted to you. In other words, the Christian faith is not something that we need to tweak. It's not something in need of improvement. There's no change. Change and innovation in the church, especially in things of doctrine, is always a bad thing. In some things, change and innovation is good. You know, when you, you know, if you're in manufacturing or something and you're able to improve a product or improve a service, that's a good thing. And there are things, there's always things we can improve. But the doctrine of the church does not change. It is not something given to us as a plaything to change according to what we see fit. It's a deposit to be guarded. It is something to be guarded. And he even says, the pattern of sound words that you've heard from me, follow that. Paul gave them a pattern of sound doctrine to follow. Follow he gave them a pattern of sound doctrine to pass along second timothy 2 verse 2 he also says and to timothy and what you have heard from me in the presence of many witnesses entrust to faithful men who will be able to teach others also hold to the truth follow the pattern of truth i've given to you and find others to entrust to entrust it to as well that they might pass it along hold to it and pass it along when it comes to the truth. And so what that tells us in some ways is that, you know, systematic instruction in the truths of God's Word is always something that's needful for the Church. Even being reminded of some of the same things over and over again is something we need to have. That's one of the reasons that throughout the history of the Church, especially since Reformation, but really all through Church history, the Church has made and made use of creeds and confessions and catechisms. Those are for our benefit. They give us patterns of sound words of the teaching of Scripture for passing along the faith. It's also for the defense of the faith. You know, sometimes false teachers can be very clever and tricky. They say things, you know, have truths instead of whole truths. They have just enough of the truth in there that it sounds okay. And so sometimes, you know, they can hold their Bibles up, and we don't it sounds right. And when you look at the creeds and confessions of the church exposes them for what they're doing and for what they're teaching, for what it is. And so, you know, very often, you know, maybe you've heard the phrase, you know, deeds not creeds or no creed but Christ. That's a foolish way to approach life in the church. It sounds very spiritual. We have no creed but Christ. But what it really does is it kind of puts the welcome mat out for false teaching. It's saying we have no standard that we can point to and say this is what the Bible teaches clearly. And so... False teaching comes in to fill the void. Even heresy, even false gospels come in that way. That's always been the way it has happened. So we we hold to the word of God, and I believe we should be taking advantage of the creeds and confessions we have in the church uh, to do just that, to keep the false teaching away and to remind us of the truth. Now, now Paul has a lot more to say about this topic later on in these two letters, so we're not going to spend that much more time on it. Uh, But a pastor and elder, one of the things a pastor and elder must be willing to do is to confront false teaching and defend the flock. Any pastor who does, I don't like confrontation, maybe none of you do either, but a pastor and elder must be willing to do those things or he's just a hired hand. He doesn't really care about the flock if he's more concerned about not confronting false teaching. Well, the second thing that Timothy was to command some in the church was not only that they not teach false doctrine or different doctrine, but also they not devote themselves to it. And the, the word really is hold to it. Don't teach it and don't even hold to it. The ESV says uh, to, to to devote themselves to it. Don't devote yourselves to these things. Devote yourselves to the truth. Don't even hold to different doctrine. You know, it's it's all too easy for people to get caught up in things like myths and endless genealogies that Paul gives an example of here in our text. Things that, you know, there are many things that maybe you don't think of it as a myth or a genealogy, but it's the same kind of thing. Very often, there are things that uh, people will teach, whether in their books and whatnot, that give the false impression of, you know, if you get into this, you're really getting into the deep things of God. There's enough deep things of God in the scriptures uh, that we need to spend our time on. But sometimes these, quote-unquote, deeper things of God don't really edify at all. In fact, they teach us different things than what the Scripture teaches. And so, you know, if you find yourself getting sucked into books or teachings that claim to be Christian in nature but they tend towards useless arguments and speculation rather than edification in Christ, uh, stay away from it. Don't get sucked into it. Stay with the Word of God, the plain teaching of the Word of God And don't get sucked into those kind of things. If if your pastor and your elders admonish you in regard to these things, which does come to to pass from time to time, uh, I would ask you, as your pastor, don't take offense to it. You know, if you know, I've had you know somebody come up multiple times, different people at times, not just in the church, other places too. What do you think of this book? What do you think of this teacher? And sometimes I have to go well. You know, it's, it's not, it's not a good thing to, to not say anything. Sometimes you have to name names. Sometimes you have to say, this, this is anti-Christ. This is anti what the scripture has to say. It's a different doctrine and you should be aware of it. Sometimes we need to hear those things. And so if your elders and pastors tell you those things, don't take offense. Be glad they care enough to watch out for your souls as is their job for your good. Well, the third thing, the last thing in our text, In verse 5, Paul tells us the purpose of the charge that he gave to Timothy. He gives him his greeting. He gives him the charge to to, to weed out this false teaching. And he gives the purpose of that charge in verse 5. Look there, he says, the aim, the aim or end of our charge is love that issues from a pure heart and a good conscience and a sincere faith. The aim is the end or the purpose. Why did Paul give him this charge? You know, it's an unpleasant task, right? Nobody wants to confront. Most people don't like confrontation. I don't. Maybe you don't. Paul's saying, hey, you've got to do this. You've got to go to them, tell them not to teach different doctrine, tell them not to hold to different doctrine. And he says, here's the point. The aim of our charge and the aim of Timothy's charge to these people is love that issues from a pure heart and a good conscience and a sincere faith. In other words, the goal is edification, Not speculation, not arguments, not those things. It's it's the aim of edification, and the truth is love. And what what does love? What does this kind of Christian love spring from? What is the engine that makes it go? A pure heart, a good conscience, and a sincere faith. That's what the truth of God's word does in us and through us. But false teaching corrupts those things. False teaching does not result in those things. But the truth of the gospel of Christ causes us to grow in the grace of God and to grow in those graces of a clean heart, a good conscience, and a sincere faith. Now towards the end of the letter, Paul kind of circles back to these same things he has in the beginning. Scripture seems to have a pattern of doing that at times. In 1 Timothy chapter 6 verses 3 through 5, he uses similar phrases. He says, if anyone teaches a different doctrine, same, same thing, and deprived of the truth, imagining that godliness is a means of gain. He doesn't pull any punches there, does he? So this, this is what they're about. This is what the false teachers are really about. And, and what, is, what is the test? How is Timothy and how are you and I to test the teachings that you're hearing? How are you to test what you're hearing right now from our pulpit? by the scriptures you know the book of acts talks about the Bereans and what did they do we said it i think last week or recently they they tested whatever whatever paul said they examined the scriptures daily to see if these things were so and in the same way paul says that they you know if they teach a different doctrine that doesn't agree with the sound words of the lord jesus christ in the scriptures and also the teaching that accords with godliness False teaching does not accord with godliness. Any teaching that tends towards the opposite of that, any any teaching that tends toward not godliness but envy, dissension, slander, evil suspicions and constant friction among people in the church is to be avoided. These things are not in accord with scripture. The fruits of any teachings have to be held in view. You know, any, any teaching from the pulpit from God's word, any time we're learning from the Bible, if we're not learning it in order to be conformed to Christ's image and to grow in our faith, there's something wrong. This, this isn't just a sport. It's not just something for us to, to think about in an intellectual way and no, and no other way else. We're meant to apply what we learn. We're meant to grow in our godliness through faith in Christ. And the, so the fruits of any teaching have to be kept in mind and held in view and judged accordingly. Any teaching that's contrary to Christ and his gospel is to be soundly rejected. Any teaching that does not accord with godliness is to be soundly rejected as well. That's the message from 1 Timothy, from from beginning to end. He kind of bookends both sides of the book with it, with that kind of an admonition. So our prayer should be that God, our Savior, in Christ Jesus, our hope, as Paul says, might grant that we might grow in these things as individual Christians and as a church, that we might uh, learn as a church to defend the faith once for all, delivered to the saints, to entrust it to others that might be able to pass it along, that the word of God might spread to the glory of Jesus Christ always. Amen.